The Digital Lifestyle presents Tino Mobile, show number 105, for Wednesday, March 21st, 2012. I'm Jose Ortiz. And I'm Jason Keynes. <laughs> Jace. Yeah, I'm good, thanks very much. It's been a pretty hectic week where I've been a pretty hectic couple of weeks at a um, big release um, company I work for, so unfortunately I've been letting you down. I know you've been up, up and ready to record and trying to get in touch with me and I've been uh, AWOL, so apologies. No worries, life happens. It certainly does, but hopefully things can calm down a bit and we can, <laughs> as, we keep, <laughs> as we keep promising, get back to a regular schedule. Yeah. Well, I mean, we didn't miss, miss anything big, you know, a new iPad out there, but that's about it. Nothing, nothing major. <laughs> yeah, I thought there was uh, something hot, something new and hot on the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So during our, our little hiatus, obviously, Apple had their uh, iPad event. And uh, I, I think much of the what was expected um, came through. Um, new iPad was announced. Uh, that appears that the the number naming convention was dropped, uh, at least for now. Uh, they're just calling it the new iPad versus the iPad three. Um, so I mean, I, I think just for clarity's sake, we can probably refer to it. And I think most most tech circles are referring to it as. Uh, the third gen iPad, uh, third generation iPad. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think the biggest news with the iPad, and I think what people were expecting or were more most hyped up about, was the Retina display, um, which uh, is uh, coming in at uh, 2048 by 1536 resolution. Um, you know, so it's a really high resolution, especially for for the for the display. Um, they they are calling it a retina display, even though it comes in at under the the retina mark. But the way that they're getting away with it, Apple is saying that the iPad is designed to be used at a distance of about ten inches or more, and that at that distance, uh, the pixel density of two sixty four. It's you know the pixels are indistinguishable, therefore it qualifies as a retina display. Um, so you know, so they're they're <laughs> they obviously want to call it a retina display. Um, so you know they they came up a way of a way to to make it fit into that category. Uh, but other than that, uh, it's got an A5x processor, quad core graphics, um, and obviously there's the Wi-Fi model and there's also the mobile broadband model. Both of our or uh, there's in the U.S. There's the Verizon model, uh, which is running on Verizon's uh, 4G LTE network, and uh, AT&T, uh, the AT&T model, which is the GSM model, uh, that's also running on AT&T's 4G network. Um, something interesting that was discovered about the 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 two models is that they are unlocked. I believe both of them are unlocked, so that if you take it overseas, you can you know pop in a just the the SIM card from whatever carrier you can get a a plan for and and pop it in and, and it'll work. Um, the most interesting fact, though, and and I think most surprising, at least to me, is that even the Verizon LTE version 
Um, it has a SIM, SIM slot, obviously. So, but you can also put an AT&T, a US AT&T SIM card in there, and as long as you you know set up the the APN settings correctly, um, it works on AT&T's network as well. So, um, that might be a good way to kind of have uh, that that dual compatibility there um, with the uh, Verizon's LTE network and AT&T's 4G network. Um, so yeah, the the, the bottom uh, of the barrel um, configuration is the 16 gig Wi-Fi model and starts at 4.99, and prices obviously go up from there. Um, the I, I think the the 4G model, the the 16 gig 4G model starts at 6.29, uh, so it's about a $130 premium for for the 4G connectivity there. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I saw some of the screenshots that uh, Ian posted in terms of uh, pre. His, I think he's got he had the iPad one and comparing it, and it certainly looks really, really clear. But just to, just to go back to that point you made at the start about the fact that they're not they haven't kind of given it a number; it's just kind of been referred to as as the new iPad. And I think when I read that, it it kind of makes sense to me in a way because you don't you know they're trying to make it into um, you know a, a device, just something that you walk into a store and buy. That you know, for example, you don't go in and buy and say, "Can I have the new Panasonic um, Plasma version 4D?" It's just you know, you go in and you buy whatever is in the store. You know, right, right. I, I don't think consumers really care that it's version one, version two, and version three. So I, I'm actually quite a fan of that. That you know, whatever is the current iPad hardware is what you buy when you walk into the store, kind of thing. I think it's only really people like us that are really like, oh, is it the one or the two or the three or? Well, but but also okay. So another piece of the announcement was that they're keeping the iPad two around and they're dropping the price to three ninety nine. Um, and in that sense, I think it's still important for them to to make the versions uh, make the um distinguish between the two versions, right? So, do you want the iPad two or the or the new iPad and? Uh, I, I, you know, most people are probably going to go in there and say, like, oh, do you have the iPad? Uh, but now, if if they're keeping the versions around, kind of like what they're doing with the iPhone right now, they actually they still have the 3GS available, right? So in, at least in the US, the 3GS is the free model uh, with contract. The 4 is the hundred dollar model with contract, and the 4S is two hundred and above on contract. So in, in that sense, I think it's still important for them to have some type of identifier um, to identify the, you know, the, the latest gen device versus the legacy device. Um, and especially between, let's say, the, 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 iPad, the, the third gen iPad and the second gen iPad, um, obviously if you turn on the screen, you're going to see a, a difference uh, in the screen itself and the resolution. But other than that, if you just look at it physically, you know, the, the, the physical appearance of the iPad there's no real difference. It's not any. I, I think the the thickness is the same, so it's not like you're going to go. This one's thicker. This one's heavier. Um, so I think it, it might still be important to distinguish it with something other than just the price point. Yeah, I'm still not still not so sure. I mean, I still think that you can still, as a consumer, you can still differentiate because you can still say, well, you know, this one's, you know, whatever it is, might be 299, this one's 499, can you explain the differences? And you kind of make that decision on your own. It's a bit, I know you can't really compare the two devices, but it's a bit like when you walk into a store and they've probably got this year's HP laptop probably next to last year's HP laptop. And the only real difference is 
the price and maybe the the number on the Intel processor and but you still have to kind of make that inquiry and decide for yourself whether or not it's worth worth paying the extra. So right, but but and that's exactly my point, right? So you go in and unless you know about hardware, you know about what the what the latest chip is, whether you're you know is a Sandy Bridge or Ivy Bridge. Um, DDR2 versus DDR3, unless you actually know about those differences, you are confused as a consumer. You're walking in there going, well, I just, I, I want a laptop that's going to work, but I also don't want something that's outdated. I want, you know, I want the, the newest thing, right? And, and unless you make that inquiry, you're looking at this like, well, this one has this price, and, and it's extremely confusing. And I would think, especially how Apple has been and the way that it, it makes things so simple to its consumers, I would think that they would want to take the approach of making it upfront, letting the consumers know where each device stands in the product line, such as they have for, for the iPhone. You know, for the iPhone, you know that there, there was the original iPhone, right? Then you have the iPhone 3G, 3GS, 4, 4S. You know where each product is. You you know kind of what what the most recent is. If you just go and call it, um, and actually uh, a good example would be the Apple TV, right? So, uh, and is it ITV or Apple TV? Whatever, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. But um, there there was an obvious hardware difference from the first generation to the second generation, right? It went from that um, Mac Mini looking design to that more, you know, it's extremely small, almost like hop, hockey puck looking design. Um, and they actually updated the the Apple TV as well. Uh, but again, no. And, and I guess when you think about the, there are other product lines they, that there there is no number, right? There is no moniker to identify what the latest generation is. But they also don't sell the previous generation, right? Once they when they update their MacBook lines, they're all updated. You can't go you you can't go to the Apple Store and say, "Can I get the old MacBook?" Yeah, no, I understand. I think in some ways, though, I, I kind of see it that consumers are generally kind of price driven. That if you're looking at the cheaper model, it's probably because that's maybe all you can afford. And that if you are the sort of person that you know price isn't an issue, then you're going to go for the the most expensive newest anyway. <laughs> Well, but, the, Sorry, but. I, I again, I, I don't think I agree with that either, though, because, okay, for example, I got the 16 gig Wi-Fi model, right? I got the Wi-Fi model because I know I'm not going to be taking the iPad around with me. Uh, I never did with the original one, and the original one, I got the Wi-Fi model because I didn't see the point of, of walking around with this huge device. Might as well walk around with the, lap, with the laptop, especially now with the Ultrabooks. Um, and I got the 16 gig model because I don't use it for much other than email, you know, some light web browsing if I'm in bed or, you know, checking Twitter, or like words with friends or something like that. Um, I don't download tons of apps. I don't really have any content on there. don't really have music. I download podcasts, but delete them as soon as I listen to them. Um, so I really don't, don't have a need for 32 or 64 gigs of storage, right? But the price differentiation be between each one is $100. So if you if you look at the progression just from a price point perspective, you're looking at three ninety nine, four ninety nine, five ninety nine, six ninety nine, and and this is strictly for the Wi-Fi models. Obviously, the add one hundred and thirty to each one of those price points for for the four G models. Um, but the progression is a hundred dollar gap between each model. If if 
in in your example, this is a consumer that doesn't all they know is that they want an iPad. From their perspective, each hundred dollar increment is going to be nothing more than than storage, right? I, I, you know, for all they know, the 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 three ninety nine model is an eight gig iPad three versus an iPad two. Yeah. Right. So I I don't know. Obviously, you know, in <laughs> I'm not saying that uh, you know most consumers are stupid and that they're not going to know, but I just it, it, it seems odd to me that there's that they're they're getting rid of any type of identifier for the iPad line. Um, if they're doing it for the iPad, given that Apple is consistent across the board, I'm guessing that's what's going to happen with the next iPhone. It's just going to be called the new iPhone. Um, but again, I, I think with the iPad and the iPhone, it, it's a very different scenario than with their other products with the than with the MacBook uh, or the iMac because the uh, again to reader was what I was saying earlier with the MacBook and iMac when they update them sure they update them they don't give them they don't call it the iMac 17 but you also they also don't keep the previous version around for purchase at a cheaper price they're just updated and this is this is what you get this is what's available um, versus here with the iPhone and iPad, you can still get previous generation devices at lower price points. So I just feel like it it should be um, communicated clearly that this is, you know, the iPad 3 or the iPad 2 versus the iPad 3. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> I certainly would agree that um, it's nice to have some differentiator if they are going to keep the old version around. Um so it'd be interesting to see. It'd be interesting, interesting to kind of sit as a fly on the wall and see which people kind of opt for. Um, because I would, I'd imagine most non-Apple stores will probably just start in, in terms of um, retail outlets, not necessarily online, but um, actual stores. Whether you know they'll just start stocking the new one, I would expect. Yeah. So I should of course be out buying one to return it. <laughs> 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 yeah. One uh, question I did have um, was, was following off the back of the story that um, Ian Dixon posted um, with regards to the um, kind of Metro Music and um, pictures and videos apps on Windows 8 at the moment, not necessarily at the moment playing nicely with um, network content. So stuff, for example, stored on a Windows Home server or you know, there's no kind of local streaming. Um, how does the iPad work? Is it the same as the iPhone whereby you sync what the media you want onto it via iTunes or is it more um, kind of MacBook like where you would just kind of drag and drop music onto it? Um, I haven't hooked up the, the iPad to my PC. You know how I feel about that. No, no, I didn't know, I didn't know if you did uh, hook up the original one. Well, the original one I had to because that's before when I got the first one it was... Um, that was before the OTA updates and the Delta updates. Uh, but I never really put, again, I, I don't really have media on, on my device other than, you know, what I get directly from iTunes directly onto the iPad. I would never sync it with anything. Uh, but from what I understand, the way the Wi-Fi sync works is that, yeah, the Wi-Fi sync syncs with iTunes. Uh, I don't I don't think any Apple device has ever... Um, been seen as a mass storage device uh, on a computer. 
Yeah, I'm with you. Um, it just kind of got me thinking because, <clears throat> you know, I know Microsoft are pitching Windows 8 as being different, not apart from the ARM, Windows on ARM, which will be very iPad-like. Um, they're kind of pitching the, the Intel um, x86 and x64 versions as, you know, different as being full-blown Windows. And I was trying to kind of get my head around, really, does it matter that the Metro apps don't stream local content? Because these devices are kind of almost kind of mobile phone-like in that they're devices you take out of the house. And, you know, that chances are you're going to need the media on that device because you're not going to, apart from the cloud, you're not going to necessarily have full access to any media you've got stored at home. So it'd be interesting to see which way Microsoft go, whether or not even the Intel Windows 8 tablets kind of sync using a Zoom-like experience or whether or not that will be um, reserved for the for the ARM version. Yeah, and, and, and I remember seeing that post, and I think it's a, it's a huge mistake because, again, and and this I, I understand this is where all, where it's going and that the focus of Windows 8 seems to be Metro and seems to be tablet, tablet functionality, but... There is no tablet product versus desktop product, right? No. So, well, apart from I, 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 I don't. I here's my problem with with the way that coverage is being done on Windows 8 and the way that, um, I guess the opinions are being formed on Windows 8 is that it's everybody seems to be solely focusing on on tablet and on the go consumption or content creation on 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 these mobile type of devices. And I, uh, last time we had the discussion, that's that was I, I think I pointed that out as well, right? You were talking about your experiences with Windows 8 and how great it was, and I was talking about how the lack of the start button was was such a huge blow for anybody that wanted to use it as a desktop OS. Um, and and I think that applies here as well. I mean, you're telling me that I can't stream content content from my Windows Home server? I, I you know that. Again, a Microsoft product, and we know that Microsoft doesn't have the best track record of implementing or integrating their products. But I, I can't stream content from another PC within my own house. I mean, that's well, I think ridiculous. So no, no, I think it's important to, to point out the, the difference. What um, Ian's post was about the Metro apps. So if you've got, you can still stream. Um, and this was a point that I made that actually, if you want to, if you want local, if, if Microsoft decide not to include it in their implementation of their Metro versions of music and pictures and videos, that if you want to stream local content, then just fire up Media Center. It's going to be there. Or if you're using a standard desktop, you know, or, or a tablet with a keyboard attached, then use um, Media Player. So it's only the Metro apps that this discussion was, was focused on. So there would still be alternatives for playing media stored on a on a server in the home. It's it's at the moment the Metro apps don't see that content without jumping through a few hoops. Okay, I I must have missed that detail then because I I thought it was it was being applied to all of Windows. No, 8. no, no, no. And but I think, even I think even I then, even then, I have an issue with it because then now we're talking about fragmentation, right? So I would have to manage two separate libraries just because I'm launching a Metro app versus a a Windows app. It just, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not claiming it's it's a clean experience. I just that's why I was curious how the iPad works because it depends on on your take. Like you say, with a desktop, you can certainly see the conflict. But with a, a a more portable tablet device, I still, in my mind, I was still thinking that I would either have content in the cloud or I'd be copying content onto it, either as a storage device or, um, you know, a Zoom um, over the air, um, sorry, wireless syncing experience. 
Yeah, but I mean, do you really? Okay, so you have the the Iconia, obviously. Because I mean, the, do you really take it with you is... all over the place? Well, well I don't because I can't wrench it away from my wife. But, <laughs> but I, I guess but, the uh... point I'm trying to make is that, that for the most part, I I still see tablets as in-home devices. I don't see them as connected devices, you know, that people walk around with. As a matter of fact, there was an article just published this week how I think over 90%, 95% of iPads sold are Wi-Fi models. That You know, the the, the, the mobile ones aren't even – or the, the mobile broadband ones um, are, are make up a very, very small percentage of, of the iPads being sold. That to me indicates – that most people aren't really concerned about. Uh, sure, they'll take it with them, you know, on trips or something like that, so they can read a book that's already loaded on there, or you know, watch a movie that's already on there. But they don't seem to be too concerned about having constant connectivity when they're on the road. Yeah, and that was, <clears throat> in some ways, that's kind of my my point, really. That you know, you'd you'd really want the content locally on it, um, but I think. In terms of the Iconia at the moment, um, because it's, I mean, it's because of its battery life. I mean, it's still five, uh, roughly about five six hours, but it's not necessarily a device that you would want to take with you in in terms of not being able to charge it. And but I mean, I know I had a I had a colleague who had an iPad, and he used to bring it into work each day, and he would plug his headphones in and you know listen to music straight off it. So, um, but again, I think that was the Wi-Fi only version. So, um, but yeah, I still, uh, I'm still kind of in two minds really. As much as I, I mean, I'm enjoying the Windows 8 experience on the Iconia, and but I still haven't quite convinced myself where a tablet fits into my use, because maybe it's um, because of the Iconia is is a heavier device and it's not. Although Windows 8 boot times is is amazing on an SSD, it's not it's not an always on device like an iPad is, and I don't know if Windows on ARM would alter my opinion on that but so far i'm finding that as much as i enjoy using the iconia it's still my mobile phone that i reach for and maybe it's because yeah. the extra apps aren't there that you know that the full experience is still evolving but i still if i want to look up something i tend to reach for my phone if i want to go on twitter i reach for my phone if you know unless i'm really looking at finding an article and, and wanting to really do some heavy searching and um, some heavy reading again it's my phone that i'll just pick up and you know hit the search button and off i go so at the moment i'm finding a tablet isn't really finding a, a place in, in my life I mean, my wife uses it for watching tv in the kitchen and you know she'll use it for looking at ebay um, when she's in the lounge so it's kind of fit slowly growing into her life but for me i'm still still looking for that yeah but that use so scenario. and so I, I but i think that has a lot to do with the os right so and, and this was my issue with they're with Microsoft's strategy of integrating the whole. Okay, we're going to have one OS that's both for tablets and and uh, desktop computing and and overlay Metro on this, and which was that it, it's it's not the same, right? You sh- you shouldn't have this. In my opinion, there shouldn't be one OS with just a layer on top. It should be two distinct operating systems. And uh, I, I think Apple took took the 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 better road, which was. And obviously Microsoft had catching up to do, so this could have led to, the, to their decision. But I think 
uh, Apple took took the best road, which was we're going to have this mobile operating system. We already have our desktop operating system. And little by little, they're merging the two, right? So we're starting to see a lot of iOS make it over to OS X. Um, that includes uh, things like, you know, the App Store. That includes uh, things like iCloud and, and how, how all of this is starting to be integrated into one um, rather than just say, okay, this is – we're just putting a, a layer on top. So I, I got the Samsung, Samsung Series 7 slate uh, a couple weeks ago, right? And I, I charged it up, set it up, whatever. Um, I, I haven't put Windows 8 on it. This is still running Windows 7. But <laughs> I, I, was, I immediately found myself trying to use it like I had the iPad or, or one of the Android tablets, which was, you know, I would it, it comes with this... This Twitter app, Samsung preloaded like Twitter app and this RSS app and these little apps that are are much more touch friendly. So I was using them, you know, I was using Twitter, and then every time I would be done, um, I would hit the what I considered the sleep button, right? I would hit the power button because that's what I do with my tablets, yeah. right? Whether it's yeah. the iPad or Android, I, I push the button and it it sleeps the screen, but the device is still on. Well. <laughs> I you know I hit it and then I remember like oh wait I forgot to check something and I hit it immediately after again and nothing was happening it was like oh did, did it die already what happened and I kept hitting it and then finally when when it woke up it said you know touch to unlock or standby or whatever basically I it didn't click with me that this was still a, a, a Windows Seven device that you can't put the screen the screens to sleep that when you hit that button you put you put it into hibernation mode or sleep mode, standby mode, whatever, but it actually goes to sleep. It shuts down the system. Um, I, and I think that's a huge issue, especially if, if you're trying to use it like a tablet, like you would an iPad. Yeah, although I, th- I think I'd be interested to, to, to see how that contrasts in terms of experience if you put, I don't know if you have already, but put Windows 8 on it because Windows 8 goes to sleep and wakes up so much faster than Windows 7. Well, no, it, 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 it did it quickly. Um, it, it's not like I had to wait there, wait there for a minute. It, it did it much quicker than any desktop or laptop I have ever used. It, it was a matter of, I want to say, maybe two seconds that it woke up. But the fact is that it's still asleep. It's not – the system is not active. Yes. Right? So I don't when, – when I get an email, I hear my iPad make a ding. You know, I, I hear the thing or I get an alert. Some, you know, uh, I have a, somebody made a move on words with friends. Boom. Alert pops up. If, if, if the tablet is asleep, like if the system is actually shut down and not connected, it's, it's not going to give me the alerts that I need. Yeah, no, I do. I do. I totally understand. I think, I mean, you're describing definitely the, the Windows 8 on ARM experience. And I, I for one would have liked if Windows on ARM did didn't have the desktop i think that would have been a much cleaner break because i still think it's going to be so confusing that people are going to buy windows windows on on tablet um see the desktop but then not understand why they can't install their app now obviously the more you know technical people like ourselves that read all the information that they can pick up that's you know we understand that we've got that expectation but a consumer who's weighed up buying an ipad or a windows 8 and not you know we we know what salespeople are like you know they're not not going to be um great at explaining the difference so you know i can quite see a consumer taking a windows and arm 8 tablet home and just not understanding why they can't install office and 
uh, sorry, Office isn't a good example because it's, it's going to come, but let's say, you know, Outlook probably isn't going to be included. They can't install Outlook or they can't install Windows Live Essentials because they'd find all the functionality they want isn't in the, the apps that come with it. So I think it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge for sure. But anyway, I've, uh, I've dragged you away from talking about your new iPad. <laughs> which wasn't, which wasn't my intention, I promise. Yeah, I mean, there's, I personally don't have much to say about the iPad, so I I, I did <laughs> like out of nowhere. I don't know why I, I felt compelled to pre-order. I think I went onto the Apple site and the shipping dates uh, were still on target. They hadn't been pushed yet, and um, you know I was. Uh, I, I think John and I talked mentioned it uh, last time John was on, but after. John and I updated our original iPads to iOS 4. It may have even been iOS 3.2. Um, it went from being a smooth experience, you know, traditional smooth experience, uh, to being a very jagged, very laggy and slow experience. Something like tapping on the address bar in Safari, it, it would take a couple seconds for the keyboard to pop up. Or you would start typing in the keyboard and there it would have to catch up to you. Um Reminded me a lot of of Windows Mobile actually the how of how slow it was reacting to the touch input, um, you know. So that being the case, like okay, maybe, you know what, maybe I should uh, order it. And I went onto the website and um, got to the checkout page and and I remember emailing you guys saying stop me from ordering it, and rather than stopping me, <laughs> you guys said no, go ahead, order it, press the buy button. Um, you can't you can't you know, ask people not you can't ask people to expect them not to want to spend your money for you. <laughs> I was expecting you especially to say don't do it because it's an iPad. Um, but no, you know I think both you and Ian responded saying do it, you know, buy it now. <laughs> so um, I placed the order, got delivered on Friday, opened it up, booted it up, you know, set it up, um, and and I have to say the setup experience was nice because you know you just no need to to actually hook it up to the computer anymore everything is is on there um and I started using it and I felt extremely underwhelmed um not for any specific reason not because it's a bad product but you know after reading so much about the screen how amazing does the display was and yes the display is very it's it's crisp it's it's clean but to me personally, <laughs> I, I'm perfectly fine with the display on the original iPad. Uh, there's, there's not. It, it's not like I, I didn't feel like uh, the difference between, let's say, uh, you know, 480p and and 1080p, right? When you watch a movie in 480 in standard def and then watch it on Blu-ray, there's a huge difference. You know, you can your eyes are happy. Yeah. Um. Here, for me personally, you know, I'm not saying, you know, obviously most of the people are, are raving about the display, but for me personally, I, I picked it up and uh, I didn't have that feeling of, you know, jumping for joy um, after looking at the display. And then I started using it, and yes, it performed a little better than my original iPad, but I don't know. For some reason, I remember the original iPad on day one being so much smoother, being quicker um and it could very well be that these apps still need to be optimized and updated um i don't know but i i would i just felt really underwhelmed um i know it has a camera you know front and, and rear facing camera but 
I don't see any scenario whatsoever in which I'm going to be using those cameras. Um, I launched a camera app for the first time last night, and I kind of, I just, you know, turned it around in my room, and I was like, "What? I, why would you take a picture with this thing?" <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. I just felt extremely underwhelmed, and and uh, looked up the return policy, and and actually, it, apparently, there's no restocking fee, and you can return it within 14 days of delivery. Um, so I'm still debating on whether or not I'm going to return it. Um, I, I have, I have enjoyed it being a little quicker and snappier than the original iPad, but I, I don't know if it justifies the $550 that I spent. Do you, um, do you think it's, um, <clears throat> partly the fact that Apple are so good at porting updates to the, to the OS back to previous versions that, you know, it's not like you've got the new iPad and you experiencing iOS 5 with all the new features and enhancements for the first time that other than the, the spec bump, it's actually, you know, in the screen, it's actually the same as you had already. Well, no, I, I wasn't expecting like a complete new experience or anything, but sorry, not, not, I, sorry, I not that my... you expected, but that, that if you'd had that new experience, it might've made the device a bit more appealing is kind of what I meant. Mm, I, don't, I don't think so no. because my my use case hasn't changed. Yeah, it, it, it's not like I was expecting it to be more useful for me. Right? I wasn't expecting to be more productive with it or or do something that I couldn't before. I, I knew I was still just going to have it lying around for Twitter, email, and podcasts, you know, and the occasional game. Um, so it, it's not it's not that I just. I think for me, really, the biggest letdown was just the screen because everybody was talking about how amazing the screen was, and I launched it up and like I I don't get it. <laughs> um, and you know that five hundred fifty bucks, I you know I have a Vegas trip coming up. I think I'd rather put five hundred fifty dollars on you know on blackjack than uh, <laughs> have, <laughs> have the iPad lying around. So if, if, um, you, if you return that, it'd be almost like the Samsung Slate costs you nothing. <laughs> no, no, okay. So here's the other thing, right? I'm, I, I think I'm also going to return the Samsung Series Seven Slate. Um, I booted it up, you know. It, it just, again, I didn't have the feeling that I thought I would. Right? It's not. It, it, maybe I'm just becoming very. I'm becoming numb to to technology. I don't know, but. You know, I plugged it in. It's it's a cool device. You know, I'm charging it right now. It's it's nice. It's really wide uh, for some reason. Um, you know, I took out my old Cross Active Digitizer pen and and kind of launched the paint and started drawing at it. Um, I I sh- I don't think I have a use for it anymore the way that I did before. Um, when I was in school, it was the perfect note-taking machine. I used OneNote and take notes uh, in class, and and it was it was great. But um, I'm just talking about just uh, a Windows tablet in general. But now I have I have the 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 seven slate, and like I said, I, I tried to use it like an iPad, right, or an Android tablet, where I would I would just it would be always on. Um, and that's just not the case. So if it's, if I can't use it as a tablet, I have no use for it as, as a, um, 
as a computer itself, right? Because I have a VioZ, um, which I actually use as, as my daily production computer. Um, it has a, a discrete graphics GPU and um, extremely powerful. I have a Core i7 on it, 256 gig SSD. So it's it's fast. It's snappy. I can get my even you know video editing done quickly on this machine. And it's small, thin, and light. It's a 13.3-inch small, thin, and light uh, with the 10, 1080p screen. Uh, for when I need to be mobile, I still have VioTT, which is still actually pretty, pretty, uh, strong. It has a, a Core 2 Duo, I think Centurino 2, actually. Um, obviously not as powerful as the Z, but if I need to be on the go, it's an 11.1 inch laptop. It's actually got a smaller footprint than the 7, uh, Series 7 Slate, uh, and weighs about the same. And I don't have to worry about carrying an external keyboard in a stand to prop it up. So it just... I, I no longer see a, a place where a Windows tablet fits in my life. Um, yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I think I'd I'd be inclined to agree. I think, <clears throat> you know, I, I will would really like to when when they're available is to swap the Acer for for a Windows on ARM because I think if it was sat in a corner and and in that always on state where it's chirping at me to say there was you know a mention or a new email or you know some kind of reminder popping up then I think I'd probably find myself using the Iconia more that um, because it's completely off and asleep, disconnected, you know, you haven't got that. So my phone chirps at me, so that's what I reach for. Yeah. I mean, the the only scenario, and, and, and this becomes so so specialized that uh, that's why I'm still considering it, right? Because it wasn't cheap. It was $1,300, yeah, um, the Series 7 slate. And the only scenario I could see myself using it in is – you know, to to assign uh, one of my uh, I have, I have a, a couple of Seton um, cards, so I have eight tuners. Assign one of the tuners to the tablet, so that if I want to like go lounge in the in the patio or something, I can watch live TV on it over Wi-Fi. Um, but that that's such a specific use. I don't know if thirteen hundred dollar a thirteen hundred dollar device warrants that. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, it, ultimately, it's a PC, isn't it? You know, it's a it's a high spec. PC, um, and I think uh, I think like so. I'd, I'd certainly be interested if if you if you can do this and still return it, um, you know, restore it back to its factory state. But I would be interested to see your experience of uh, Windows 8 on it. Yeah, but it's still going to have that limitation. About, yeah, I thought about I thought about putting Windows in it to tr- to try it out, but oh man, I have to admit, there's nothing about Windows 8 that I find appealing. Nothing like I feel I do not feel compelled at all to try Windows 8, which is surprising, right? Like Windows Windows Vista and Windows 7, when the consumer previews came out for those, boom, I put it on almost every device I had. Um, Vista, because it was such a, and you know, Vista was such a bulky device and, and not a great experience, but it, it seemed like, you know, uh, such a, a departure from XP. Um, and Windows 7 was just the refinement of that, right? It, Everything seemed to run so much smoother, and and uh, I'm happy with what Windows is now. There's nothing at all in Windows 8 that appeals to me. Um, the the Metro interface and, and the whole tablet aspect does not appeal to me at all. Um, especially with like you said, the limitation that you know it's not really being a a tablet, I guess. Um, there's nothing in in on the desktop side. That compels me. There's nothing that really changed there that's compelling me to to take a look at Windows 8. So I just I 
honestly, I don't even want to bother going through the hassle. Because there, there's nothing, there's nothing there that appeals to me. Yeah, no, I must admit, from from tablet tablet perspective, I am really interested in Windows, and I couldn't wait to get it on the Icon here. But I can certainly understand that if you've already got devices that fill, um, you know, your tablet needs, then you know, the the, the moment there isn't necessarily anything compelling. Yeah, I know, and, um, and I think, but and and here's. <laughs> From your perspective, you've never tried an iPad. True. And, that, and that's to me, that's a huge problem because you're you're saying that oh, you've been waiting for for this on you know for for Windows on tablets and all this, but the reason you've been waiting for it is because you haven't tried anything else. You haven't tried an iPad nor an Android tablet. Um, well, I did look at Android tablets, and you steered me away from them. You apologized. <laughs> okay, well, not all right. Well. I'm not changing my mind. Yes, <laughs> Don't, there, there's still nothing. Even with Ice Cream Sandwich, from what I've seen, Android tablets still there's not even apps for for tablets. They they, they just supersize whatever apps are there. Um, so yeah, continue to stay away from them. But from a tablet perspective, honestly, uh, and and I, I know you're not an an Apple guy, and and uh, you know you're hardcore Microsoft guy, but. From a tablet perspective, it's just you, you really can't – I feel like you, you can't uh, be critical or, or I guess fairly evaluate other tablets without first trying an iPad. Yes. Um, no, I, no I, I, I certainly agree. It's, it's going to be a case that um, you know Windows 8 – Assuming that it does, and it does at the moment, you know, if it meets my requirements and, and needs, then you know, I'll be happy with it. But yeah, you're right; it, it's always um, possible that if I try something else, that actually I'd, you know, find the experience to be far superior. But for me, you know, it's like Windows Phone. I know it has its limitations, but for me, it, it absolutely fills all the all the needs and requirements I've got of a of a smartphone. So, you know, I, I'm more than happy with it. Yeah, well, I guess that's why you still are using your Explorer too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I did. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, I did pick up a, um, a colleague's iPhone and had a had a quick play around with it, and it just, you know, there's just nothing that drew me into it. But you know, maybe if I used it on a more permanent basis, it might do. But yeah, I mean, for, from a phone perspective, you know, my preference is uh, is Android. Um, I, I was a huge Windows Mobile fan. Uh, when Windows Mobile was out, um, I was okay with Symbian. My favorite Symbian device of all time, actually one of my favorite devices of all time, period, was Nokia E71. Um, and I used the E71 even into the kind of even while the new gen OSs were out. Um, I, I I have to give iOS the edge on on new gen devices uh, or operating systems all the way up until December. I think Ice Cream Sandwich now has uh, Android and iOS neck and neck. I think they're they're on the exact same play, uh, playing field right now. Um, unfortunately, I still feel like Windows Phone is is not there. I, I think Windows Phone has so much catching up to do. Um, iOS has its limitations as well in terms of being such a, a closed 
operating system and, and so so closed in terms of development and customization. But in terms of usability uh, on a day-to-day basis and just in terms of productivity, in terms of accessibility, iOS has Windows Phone beat by far. Um, Android with the polish that it's, – it's always had the tools there, but it's lacked that polish. And Ice Cream Sandwich put that polish into the operating system for phones. For tablets, it still has a lot to do as well. But um, it's, Windows Phone has so much lacking. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I think <clears throat> I also think, although it's Windows Phone Seven, it is a V1 product, and I do hope that Windows Phone Eight makes that leap forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think from Windows Phone, um, you only need to look at the Skype, albeit it's only in beta. But you know, the Skype app really highlights all the limitations and i think um ian uh forwarded kind of forwarded a, a tweet to me with someone else asking about um the lumia nokia lumia range and windows phone in general and i said you know I, my my response was absolutely love the lumia um really like windows phone but before you make the jump understand its limitations because i think i think it is still at that embryotic stage where you need to understand that it has limitations but do those limitations impact your use? And for me at the moment, you know, they don't. I, I, I still really enjoy using the devices. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's a matter of preference, right? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, from from your standpoint, I know you have a lot of loyalty to Microsoft products, so you, I know you're, you're probably going to stick with them longer than... than um, you know, other other people might. I, you know, I, I was also a huge Microsoft fan, but it's just, I think after after trying out um, using iOS and and Android for so long, you know, I, I kind of I, I couldn't make excuses anymore, and I, I think that's what what uh, had me so disappointed with Palm too, because WebOS had so much promise. It was it was right there. Honestly, I was I was salivating. Waiting for the next generation of, of WebOS to come out because, from from a user experience perspective, everything was so intuitive. Um, the paradigm of, of the cards seemed it, it was so intuitive. I mean, there, there's no other word to describe it, right? I mean, to see the cards there, this is you know you zoom out. These are all the apps that you're running, and you just you flick it away if you want to close it, right? And and you get to swipe through them and, and look at your and. That interface was so amazing, and it's just it's horrible that it just it, it didn't pull through. Yeah, I mean, I totally um, agree. I mean, I really wish it, had, you know, even if it just had a year to prove itself, and if it had failed after a year due to bad, you know, due to low take up, then you know, fair enough. But I, I really do feel it. It's a shame that it never got its yeah. never got its chance. Well, for for a while there, you know, I I was saying that I preferred WebOS over Android and iOS. Um, you know, very early on with with the first with the Palm Pre, um, I, I considered it the be- the best OS out there uh, in terms of usability, you know, productivity. I love the fact that I had a physical QWERTY keyboard. Oh my god, I, I miss devices with physical QWERTY keyboards. Um, but it it was such a great device uh, and, and OS. And for a, a while there, I think both Sheldon and I, you know, kept saying that it was. In our opinion, it was the best OS out there. Um, 
but, well, let's let's jump ahead a little bit because there's there was actually a, a story that came out this week uh, regarding WebOS and and how it did get cut short. Um, so I, I remember we had a conversation um, on TDO Mobile about how horribly HP handled this, right? And how they gave, I, I think it was after like a week or two weeks of, of, of touchpad sales, they that's when they shut it down. I mean, they didn't even get give the touchpad a chance. Um, and when, with an investment like that, um, we were saying that HP should have looked at Palm as a long-term investment, not as something that has to perform within a period of weeks to months. Yes, definitely it was something agree. that they definitely were going agree. to have to, they were going to have to invest money over a period of years, right? So a period of, I think I said three to five years. Well, interestingly enough, um, the former CTO of HP, uh, Phil McKinney, um, I guess gave uh, some insight in, in a book about that the whole WebOS HP saga or Palm HP saga. And apparently there was a long-term plan. Apparently there, the plan was to let Palm perform independently, basically, uh, for a period of three years. So let them continue to do what they're doing hands-off. HP was going to be complete hands-off. All HP was going to do is um, you know, provide it with cash uh, and resources. So whether, the, whether that was going to be... Uh, Creative resources, engineering, production resources, distribution resources, maybe even just relationship uh, resources. Uh, but that's all I was going to do was give it cash and resources and then let Palm do its thing, let it keep going with the pipeline it had planned out, and uh, let it let it succeed on its own. Um, well, apparently when Leo Apotheker uh, came in and he became a CEO – you know, Apotheker came from the business side. He could care less about the stuff. And he basically cut it short. He said, no, this is what I want to see. It's not performing. We're going to shut it down. Um, so, you know, the whole time they were talking about how Leo Apotheker was was the, the cause of the, the Palm or WebOS downfall. Uh, apparently that, that was, in fact, the case. We have confirmation now from, from someone that was there to see it all. Um... And I hope Apotheker gets a bunch of hate mail for that now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like I say, you know, I, I do think it was a shame. I do think they had something unique, um, especially where that they'd, you know, really thought about their phones and their tablets working together. And, you know, HP could have done so much with WebOS, could have integrated it into its printers and, you know, all its other devices. And, you know, even to the point that, you know, have WebOS you know, in HP screens or, you know, HP touch smarts running WebOS. And, you know, I think the potential was there. It just, it just needed the, like he says, you know, the hands off to, you know, follow its own path that it already had mapped out. It just didn't have the cash to implement, which is where HP came in. But unfortunately yeah. it was the nail in the coffin. But I mean, I, I think it's, it's amazing to see the fact that somebody, you know, the, whoever, the apotheker who HP put in charge, had no foresight. Right. I mean, technology companies are supposed to be the most innovative and forward thinking companies out there. And for Apotheker uh, to come in as CEO of this, this HP behemoth, or I'm sorry, this technology behemoth and not have the foresight. Um, or I'll just, you know, just the, the, 
ability to kind of hang in there and and just look at. I'm guessing he was basing it off of off of numbers, right? Yeah, but, of, okay, sales numbers, I'm or, not sure he did. Or expenses, or whatever. I was gonna say, I'm not sure he had any direction. It was like, let's cut WebOS, let's sell our H, let's sell our PC business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just in there let's swinging an axe and see where it fell. Uh, it's so ridiculous, it's, you know. So it it actually does surprise me that he didn't last in there at all, right? So they they got rid of him pretty quick, but unfortunately, too late. He was around. He was yeah. He was around long enough to cause mayhem uh, and and get you know kill off one of the I think most innovative interfaces um, that we we saw in that decade. So yeah. Oh well. All right. Moving <laughs> on. What else do we got? Um. Oh. So, uh, just uh, to wrap up the Apple stuff, so uh, Apple had uh, an investor call yesterday, two days ago, I believe, to talk about what they were going to do with their $100 billion bank account <laughs> that they have sitting around the cash. And I think a lot of people were expecting, you know, whether it was – I don't know. With everything, with all the heat that Apple has has received in regards to the Foxconn factories and working conditions and all that, I think people were expecting something maybe a little more not charitable, but something to address that, right? Something different to do with all that cash that they have. Uh, but what they actually ended up announcing was that they're going to issue dividends for shareholders. Um, which is good for me. I, I do own stock in Apple, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, it's going to be two dollars and sixty-five dollars. I'm sorry, two dollars sixty-five cents per share. Uh, dividends going to be issued in the fourth quarter, and uh, they're going to be buying back uh, stock as well. Uh, I think forty-five, uh, ten billion dollars in stock uh, that they're going to be buying back. Um, so obviously this this pulls back some of the outstanding shares that are out there and and um, takes a piece out from from the investors and makes Apple even more self sustained than they already are. Um, but that's pretty much it. I mean, uh, Tim Cook did say that uh, you know Apple's very stable and they've been extremely innovative and they're going to continue. Uh, infusing cash into their uh, engineering and um, stuff like that, but nothing much more than that. Um, you know, it was, it was very much a uh, a finance directed decision. Um, nothing around any type of uh, I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting. <laughs> um, it just seems like they could have done something different, right? That that's a lot of money in the bank that they have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, question did come up about whether or not they're going to split uh, stocks uh, now that the price is, uh, you know, kind of just sitting there at almost six hundred dollars. Um, so far, it looks like no, they're not going to be splitting the stock, but um, you know, they didn't rule out the possibility in the future. Um, but yeah, that's. That's what they're going to do with their $100 billion. Nice. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, you'll be getting a huge check in the post then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know that much stock. <laughs> um, some Google news. I don't think we covered it on on the last podcast. No, I think no. this came out after, but it was uh, basically Google rebranded um, everything. So you know they had the Google. Uh, well, I already forgot what it's called. Android Market. There you go. <laughs> the Android Market uh, was originally just for apps. And then as they started adding services to it, um, the, the Android Market name, I guess, didn't really make sense anymore. Because you can buy not only apps, but you can also they also have Google Music on there. They also have videos and books. So they basically rebranded uh, that entire group into uh, Google Play. Um, so all the apps, books, music, and video are now in the Google Play uh, store. So Android Market is no more. Um, anything running uh, Android 2.2 or later um, had the, the Android Market automatically updated to Google Play. Um, and yeah, it wasn't really much more than then name change. Um, that was pretty much it for that. Uh, some other Android news. Sony announced their first uh, ice cream sandwich phone, the Xperia Neo L. Uh, it was announced in China. Uh, this is uh, a successor of, of the original Neo. Um, it's got a 4-inch screen with a 1 gigahertz uh, Snapdragon processor. Uh, five megapixel camera, so it's still gonna be it's still gonna have their what was it called Timescape? I think it was called Timescape skin on there, which isn't the prettiest skin, <laughs> but we'll see how it looks on Ice Cream Sandwich. And it's supposed to be shipping pretty soon, actually. Um, Beats which HCC owns uh, over 50% of, apparently bought Mog. Mog is a music streaming service similar to Spotify. Uh, I was actually a Mog, Mog subscriber for a while until I started working from home full-time. Then it didn't really make sense to have it anymore. I didn't need to stream anything anymore. Um, <clears throat> even though HCC is a majority stakeholder in Beats, um, apparently it... it didn't really have anything to do with the acquisition itself, but given that they are a majority stakeholder, it, you know, it's probably a matter of time before we start seeing the, the MOG service, the music streaming service, somehow integrated into HTC devices. And um, the only other story I have is this was actually pretty exciting. So Net Zero, which back in the day, back in the dial-up days was a way to get internet service for free. Uh, there was a, a limited number of hours you can get for free, and uh, basically it had this little software package. You would dial a number, and it would put a banner at the top of your uh, at the top of your screen with ads, and that's how you would get free internet service. Um, this is before you know it was internet service was widespread. Obviously, the dial-up days um, was as we've evolved into broadband. You know, Net Zero kind of went by the wayside. I honestly have no idea what Net Zero has been up to uh, over these past few years, but it looks like it's introducing a free 4G service. 
Um, so it's going to piggyback off of Sprint, I believe. Um, or I'm sorry, Clearwire, uh, which is WiMAX. Uh, but yeah, they're basically selling the device. You can have either USB dongle or a MiFi. Um, and the, the free, uh, plan, um, hold on, maybe I have this wrong. No, yeah. The free plan is 200 megabytes of data a month, which isn't much, but it's free. <laughs> Um, the devices themselves will be either fifty dollars for the USB stick or hundred dollars for the for the hotspot. But other than that, there's no um, no monthly charge. And once you hit that two hundred megabyte limit, you can also you can kind of upgrade to one of their paid plans, um, which I think it it's, starts at like fifty dollars a month for four gigs, um, or that's the top tier plan, fifty dollars a month for four gigs. Um, there, there's unlike the original Net Zero ISP service, there's not going to be any ads or anything. I, I think this is just them counting on people to want more data each month and kind of purchase more data each month. But uh, I mean, not bad. It, ultimately, it's it's free data. So if if you're somebody that doesn't need mobile data a lot, but every once in a while travels, goes on vacation, or something like that. It's it's not a bad option at all. Yeah, it's always um, <clears throat> it's always good to have something like that to carry around with you. Just like you say, it's cause that's something that puts me off. I'd I'd quite like um to have some ability on the Iconia um, you know, without relying on necessarily having um, uh, tethering to a mobile device. But I don't want to commit to paying something out every month when I might not use it every month. So it certainly sounds like a good a good idea. Yeah. Um, that's all I had. Um, what do you got, Jace? Um, yeah, just got a, a couple of little things. I've, I've still got the Lumio on loan from Nokia, and I have to say, I'm, I'm really being swayed towards it, um, from my Omnia 7. Um, even though the, the screen size is that bit smaller, the display on the, on the Lumio 800 is just amazing. So I'm, uh, I'm still using it full time as my device, and just this week they released an update, um, to Nokia Drive, their turn by turn navigation system. And so it's just still able to give that a try. And um, main two new features were just that um, you can now do offline route planning. So although the maps and everything were stored offline with version one, um, you, you needed a, a data signal to be able to search for destinations and, and, and plot the course, whereas now you can actually toggle it to offline mode and it will actually work completely data free once it's downloaded the maps. Um, so it's a nice little update and also that it now has um, road speed warnings so and actually I used it on my way to work today and I was actually really impressed with it because literally as I went past the um, the speed sign say that you know reduction in speed literally I saw the, the device update to the new speed limit so I was quite impressed I mean it's literally almost meter perfect I was, I was quite impressed impressed with that, but yeah, the other thing is uh, a, a small rant by me. I know uh, now I'm a big fan of a fan of Windows Phone, but I hope I also criticise it where necessary. And the one thing that has really um, changed my experience with Windows Phone is using the the um, sorry the Lumia 800, which is an unlocked, unbranded device. The moment that Nokia release software updates, I get a notification um, next to my I 
<laughs> sorry, Jose, next time I plug the device in and it installs and, you know, job done. Whereas my Omnia 7 is just a complete contrast. It's still waiting for the disappearing keyboard bug fix to be released by T-Mobile UK. And I see people complaining that they're still having issues waiting for AT&T in the US to release the update. And it's just really highlighted to me what, what a mess the update process still is. I mean, Microsoft made that that blog post a little while ago saying that they were doing away with the Where's My Update page because now they've got things in hand. It really wasn't necessary and... It, it was clearly just a massive cover-up. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know, I mean, Mango, for me, was kind of the highlight. And I know they still had some delays. I mean, T-Mobile UK, again, another example, there was a month delay between everyone else getting Mango and, and, and me getting it on the, on the Omnia 7. But it really just does make me feel again and again that, seriously, the carriers just need to back off and leave us alone. You know, I understand that... Windows Phone is an OEM device. It's not like um, the iPhone. So yes, there will always be a delay while each OEM customizes the the latest operating system release or the latest bug fix release in order to make sure it's got drivers that are specific to your device. There's no way around that. But I just do not see what the carriers add to it other than you know consumer frustration. It's just really really annoying. That it makes me. You know, really, even more, that's another reason. Those those two things, considering I, my biggest criticism um, from my perspective of the Lumia 800 is I don't like the screen size. It's too small, but that's a personal thing. But the reason why I've ended up using it is because the screen is so nice compared to the Omnia 7, despite its smaller size. But also the fact that, you know, I don't have that disappearing keyboard issue. And, you know, I'm getting the latest firmware updates for the for the 800, which... You know, it's been it's been quite um, publicly publicised that you know it, it had problems. You know, it's had some firmware issues in terms of battery life, in terms of um, audio quality when using the speaker, and and not you know a few other things. Nothing major, nothing show stopping, but you know it, it kind of shows that the device was um, brought to market as soon as they could, rather than maybe as soon as it was ready. Um, but they've been fixing it. You know, again, really shows Nokia's commitment. They've been releasing updates and fixes, and but. There are so many Lumia 800s out there that are, that are tied to um, carrier branding that are still waiting for those updates. And, you know, um, I can't say I've noticed an increase in battery life, but some people have said they've seen their battery life on the 800 go almost from a day to two days. You know, and that's a, that's a significant consumer experience. Sorry, improvement to the consumer experience. It just just my biggest criticism of Windows Phone that, as I said earlier, you, if if you decide it's a platform for you and I still really like it, but you do need to know that, you know, it's it has its limitations and it really does have its frustrations sometimes. Yeah, the the update process is, is so convoluted and I mean Android obviously experiences that as well from from other manufacturers. Um, you know, I obviously I'm using a, a Nexus device, so I I don't really have that issue. Um it's an unlocked device straight from Google, so First want to get the updates, but, um, you know, I remember when I was on my little HTC run, <laughs> you know, that I had all these HTC devices and, you know, it took forever to go, uh, to upgrade to what was before honeycomb, uh, gingerbread, gingerbread. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to update to gingerbread took forever. Um, I will say though that it was nice that once it was available, it just kind of, showed up on my phone, right? It just said, you know, hey, there's an update. 
do you want to update now? Yes. Same thing with the iPad, with the original iPad when uh, 501 came out. You know, it just I just went to a software update, boom, updated on the fly. Um, but there's uh, from an Android perspective, there's there's definitely obviously fragmentation uh, between OEMs. Um, not only OEMs, but also carriers. So there's fragmentation between Google Nexus devices, OEM devices, and then carrier branded devices. So, um, some, something has to be done on that front. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous that carriers have this much power. Uh, you know, if, if only the, if only these OEMs were to band together and, and, not give in to carrier demands anymore. I mean, because obviously carriers hold a lot of power over OEMs. Carriers are the one who who purchase from OEMs the most. That that's their primary customer, really. Um, carriers, not direct consumers. But if all these manufacturers came together and said, "Forget this, we're not giving in all at once," you know, what are carriers going to do? They obviously got to buy from someone. Um, you know, if one OEM does it, then Obviously, they can say, you know, whatever, we're not going to carry your devices anymore. But if every carrier does it, I mean, what are they going to have left? Blackberries? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just think, um, you know, <clears throat> like you say, they do have this hold over um, the OEMs and over Microsoft particularly. Um, but, you know, just like you say, you know, if somebody really stands up to them, um, you know, that they're going to have no choice. You know, they have a choice that they can choose to stock or not stock the phones. But I think in some ways that's Windows Phone's weakness that, you know, it actually is a big deal if they don't stock the devices. But, I mean, certainly Android. I mean, you know, what is it? Something like 50, is it 50 million activations a day or something? Something like that. And yeah. it's just, you know, um, but I guess in some ways that Android is a little different in that it, it does have quite a bit of um, carrier customization in it. Um, whereas the contrast with with iOS and uh, Windows Phone is that you know that there just isn't that customization. There's just no need. You know, Apple clearly have an advantage because they own the whole hardware software combination. Um, but even so, as I say, you know, I, I would accept that Windows Phone has a a small delay um, injected by the OEMs having to customize with drivers and whatnot, but. Just for me, the, the the carriers just it's just all they end up doing is hurting the consumer experience, you know. Yep, I agree. So that's my rant of the week. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> had a rant on the last few shows, so I feel I'm, I feel I'm a, a G one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I think that's about that's about all, all for me. I've been uh, struggling to keep up with any uh, real news with work being so busy, so. Yep, I mean, I think that about covers it. You know, like we said, it was news has been uh, a bit slow. Um, I mean, other than the the iPad event, there there hasn't been anything major. So, I think we pretty much covered it. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, we've uh, had a good show this week. Yep, uh, but I think that's going to wrap it up for. Number 105, uh, don't forget you can uh, reach us at mobile at the com. You can also follow us on Twitter. I am at Jose Ortiz. I'm at Database Chase. John is at John Dickinson, and Sheldon is at Sheldon W. 
And uh, I think that's a wrap for 105. Uh, I'll talk to you next week for 106, Jace. Yep, cool. Looking forward to it already. All right, see ya. See ya. We'll be right back.